the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The promise is that God on that day, he would forgive them and restore them to right relationship with him. And I ask you real quick tonight, have you done that? Have you come in confession and repentance before the Lord? Praise to the God who reigns above. If you have, then God has washed away all of your sin. But if you haven't, you stand guilty before a perfect God. And you need to come to Jesus. You need to get saved. And descends in perfect love. The Day of Atonement says the exact opposite of that. We can't atone for our sin. A sacrifice must be made on our behalf. And any man that thinks his own righteousness can earn forgiveness from God will be very disappointed when they stand before him someday. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the book of Leviticus. God has been giving the ceremonial laws to Moses for the Israelites. We have gone over the various offerings and sacrifices Aaron and the priests would administer in the nation's worship of God. We have seen that there were certain animals, diseases, and situations that made a person unclean, and therefore unable to join the congregation for worship. Now we will be looking at Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. All the laws and statutes laid out for the Israelites still wouldn't make them completely holy or as perfect as God was perfect. They could never be close enough to God to have an intimate relationship with Him. We join Pastor Will in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 14. So verse 14, he goes back out. He shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger. The word sprinkle means to kind of spritz. He would spritz it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before, in front of the mercy seat, shall he sprinkle of the blood of his finger seven times. Why it says eastward, because that's the section when he opened up the curtain and he would go into the Holy of Holies. That's where he's approaching. He's approaching from the east. So that would be right in front of him. The idea was, is he's not supposed to just meander around the Holy of Holies and be like, hey God, let's hang out for a little bit here. No. He's to stay right there in front of the Ark of the Covenant, and he's to offer the blood there to show that it's proof that he had made the offering that God required. And it would be both on top of it and in front of it. Now, why that? Why did the blood need to be sprinkled there? Well, remember, when God would look at the Ark of the Covenant, he would see what inside? The two tablets of the law. His perfect standard, right? What we all failed to keep. The perfect standard of God, which every man had violated. The blood, being on the mercy seat, would cover that up which is what the word for atonement means. It's kofar, and it means to cover. God would no longer see his violated law, but the offering which paid for it. Now, why seven times? Well, seven is the number of completion. There's seven notes in a scale. Seven days in a week. Seven has always been kind of thought of as the number of completion. Eight is the number of new beginning. The idea seven times, it's complete atonement is being made here for their sins for this last year, which we'll get to later. Verse 15. 
Now the people's first goat is presented to the Lord. So he's done with himself. After he's done with himself, then verse 15 says, he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and he will bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood just like he did with the blood of of the bullock for his sin offering. And he'll sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions in all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. So what the Lord is saying here is that while the cloud of incense is still rising and the blood for his offering is already on there, he's going to go out and sprinkle the blood of their offering. And the reason is, is because this offering would cover up the sins of the people, but not just their sins, but everything in the tabernacle that had been tainted by being in the presence of an imperfect people. Everything would have to be purified every year. It's funny, people often balk at the idea of Jesus being our sin offering. They say, well, God can forgive us because of Jesus' sacrificial attitude and the example of his good life. And therefore, God can forgive us by when we're striving to do good. Baloney, absolute baloney. This makes no sense if that can happen. If that can happen, then why all this rigmarole? Why does we have to go through every little detail here and every little piece of the tabernacle would have to be paid for and cleansed every year? Not because a tabernacle had done anything wrong. A tabernacle can't sin, but just because it had been in the presence of an imperfect people. That's why someday God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth because this one's tainted. It needs to be replaced. Even if we all did the right thing and all sin was put away with, it's still broken. So someday this world will go up in smoke. The Bible says God's going to release his grip on the universe and it's all going to just explode in massive heat and he'll create a new heaven and a new earth where we'll live forever. I remember my pastor once gave a trick question and said, how many of you are going to live in heaven for the rest of your life? And of course, you know, <laughs> well, everybody know I'm going to be in heaven forever. Now I'm looking around and some of the older people are kind of chuckling and their hands aren't up. I'm like... Oh, I'm going to heaven. I guess you got issues. He said, you know, you're not going to be in heaven forever. We're only going to be there for the determined time until God lets go of this heaven and this earth and he creates a new one where then there'll be no taint of sin whatsoever. So we see down here, verse 17, and there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goes in to make an atonement in the holy place until he come out and have made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. And he shall go out unto the altar that is before the Lord and make an atonement for it and shall take of the blood of the bullock and of the blood of the goat and he shall put it upon the horns of the altar round about and he shall sprinkle of the blood upon it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and hallow it or make it holy from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. The theme of Leviticus is that we're to be holy like God is holy. Well, how holy is God? He's perfect. The only thing that could make us holy like him, therefore, is not this offering, but the sacrifice of his holy son. See, nothing we bring to the equation could ever accomplish that. And that's why the high priest did this alone. No one else went in there. We don't bring anything to the deal. We don't atone for any of our sin. Christ atones for it all with his own blood. And as a result, all the ritual looking forward, it would cleanse the tabernacle, the altar, everything that was in use there. It would hallow it. This ritual forgave the nation, but it also perpetuated their relationship with God. If they did not perform the Day of Atonement ritual, then guess what? The tabernacle and its tools became unclean and Israel would be cut off from God. So it's important to maintain this every year. Now, when did they do it? Well, we haven't been given a date yet. That will come later in the chapter. But we'll learn that it was performed once a year. Could you imagine the concern that they had as that time approached each year? What if the high priest messed up? What if God didn't forgive them? And even if he did, it only lasted a year. 
Can you imagine how much relief it would be when God did forgive them? But how much trepidation would be? Well, I guess it starts a new year of us blowing it again. And now we're gonna have to do it again and again and again every year. Look at Hebrews 10 with me. If the day of atonement was the end, we should still be doing it now, but it's not the end. It only points forward to something else. Verse one, for the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image or substance of those things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers there too perfect. It could never perfect them, never make them fully righteous. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Like if the day of atonement worked for good, then they would have never had to do it again, right? But the fact that they did it every year proved it did not work for good. Because if it did, the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. Now, what does that mean? That means that the sacrifice of Christ, we don't have to feel that way anymore. We don't have to walk around guilty before God every every time we mess up. We just bring it into the light and say, Lord, this was wrong and I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me? And the Lord cleanses us anew and afresh, right? Instead... Verse three, in those sacrifices, there is a reminder again made of sins every year. Every year, it just reminds you of failure. Why? For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. It can only cover sins. Jesus' sacrifice is the only one that can take away our sins completely. And aren't you glad for the cross? The day of atonement was a wonderful day, but it was never meant to be the solution. It pointed forward to the solution, the once for all sacrifice of Jesus. Well, what about that other goat who got to go away free? Verse 20. And when he had made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, then he shall bring the live goat, the one that's still alive. You know, you figure you had a 50-50 chance if you got picked. Not the best odds, but better than some. And Aaron shall lay both of his hands upon the head of the live goat. Remember, he's part of the sin offering. So he lay both of his hands upon the goat. The idea is symbolically all the nation's sin now is going to be transferred to that goat symbolically, not literally, but symbolically. Lay both of his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins, putting them upon the head of that goat. And then when he had done that, I don't know how long that took, depending, I guess, on how well the year went. And then he shall, after he's done, he shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. Now, this is so cool, it gives me chills. And the goat shall bear upon him all the iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go of the goat in the wilderness. When I read through this, it just blows me away. After he's done confessing all the sins of the people, he lets the goat and he gives him to a fit man, the Bible says. One who is capable or able. So he'd take him to a guy who is capable or able to lead this goat, Jewish tradition says, 10 miles away from Jerusalem and release him into the wild. It was a a walk and it was something that had to be completed in a day. So he would have to get going. And I don't know if goats are compliant or not, but if this guy had a bit of an attitude problem, it would be even harder work for him. He would have to do this and and he would take them and then release the goat into the wild, a land not inhabited, a place where no one made their home and their sin could never be found again. Psalm 103 verse 12, that famous Psalm, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sin from us. So we know that that's the idea of what forgiveness means. It means God takes our sin and he sends it away from us to a place where no one is, where it could never be found again. Now, the Jews later on being the sticklers for every little detail, eventually realized that someone could eventually bump into this guy again. They might, and they would, they would tie a ribbon to him so they would know who he was. And the thought of the goat kind of walking, you know, you're kind of hanging out and then the goat walks by, you're like, oh, I guess my sin's not forgiven because it's right there. And so they kind of realized that, you know, someone could eventually bump into this guy again, or he might turn around instead of going out into the wild. And that would not bode well. 
The truth is, is that there was no guarantee of their sin being gone forever until Jesus came, right? So that reality of understanding that, the ritual was created, designed to create the realization that the sacrifice of a goat could never take away sins forever. That, yeah, that guy could come back. To create a longing in their heart for the Messiah who would take away their sins for good. Instead, in Jesus' day, they created a new ritual where the fit man would take him to a cliff and push him off. No coming back then. Kind of take him by and be like, hey, walk you over here, Fluffy. Bye. <laughs> Turn to Hebrews 9 with me. The thing that was designed to create a longing, they replaced with their own ideas and their own works. Hebrews 9.11 says, but Christ being come a high priest of good things to come, not a reminder like the old high priest would do, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, in other words, his own body, neither by the blood of goats or of calves, but by his own blood, entered in once into the holy place, or the holy of holies, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean could sanctify them to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. See, Jesus is not only our great high priest of a better covenant, he's not only the goat of our sin offering, but he's the fit man, the only one who's capable, who can take away our sins forever, that they, we can never bump into them again. Amen? Well, once this ritual was complete, the high priest in verse 23 would resume his normal duties. It says in verse 23, and Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation, and then he'll take off those linen garments which he had put on when he went into the holy place, and he's going to leave them there, and he's got to take a bath again. It says there, and he shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place, and then he'll put on his garments. So now he's going to put on the normal high priest clothing for glory and for beauty. And then, once he's done that, now that the sin has been dealt with, he puts back on his garments for glory and for beauty after he takes a bath, and he shall come forth and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people, and make a atonement for himself and for the people. Again, this symbolizes surrender of him and the nation once again to God, a fresh start for a new year. And in the same way, when we come to Christ and our sins are forgiven, we're to give our lives completely to God from that day forward, right? Say, Lord, my life is a burnt offering. Take it, take it, take it and have your way with me. Lord, I am yours. I want to live for you. Remember, the sin offering has been burning on the altar, so now we have to dispose of all the leftovers. It says, verse 25, the fat of the sin offering shall he burn upon the altar. The reason they don't have to tell us what to do with the burnt offering is because remember, everything burned on the altar there. For the sin offering, just the fat, that's the part that's God's part. In verse 26, he that let go the goat for the scapegoat, he has to wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp. And the bullock for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, he'll carry that stuff outside the camp, and they'll burn all the leftovers with fire, it says. Their skin, their flesh, their dung. And then the guy that's doing that, he that burns them, he has to take a bath again, wash his clothes, and then afterward he can come back into the camp. The idea here is now that the offerings would be completed, and verse 29, we now turn to the people's preparation. Aaron now knows what he's supposed to do and all of the future high priests. Now what about the people? What's their part? Verse 29. And this shall be a statute forever unto you, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all. Here we find out when they prepared. This would be a statute forever unto them. They had to do this. This was not optional. And it would be forever, it says. So there would be no end in sight. This would go on year after year 
until one day where Jesus says he secured for us eternal redemption. We read that in Hebrews 9, 12. Jesus' sacrifice satisfies God's forever requirement and granted us eternal redemption. Till that day, though, Israel would prepare year after year. And when would be the day? Tenth day of the seventh month. Israel's religious calendar is different than our calendar. Their calendar started with the exit from Egypt and the Feast of Passover. So their calendar is different than our calendar, their religious calendar. That puts the Day of Atonement around October, November-ish, as they operated on a 30-day calendar, and it changes from time to time. That's when they would do the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, as it's called today. How would they prepare? Well, it says, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all. Whether it be one of your own countrymen or a stranger, a foreigner, non-Jew, who's staying with you. For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you, so other than the normal Sabbath. And if it was a Sabbath the day after, well, then you had a high holy Sabbath, the Sabbaths that came back to back. And you shall afflict your souls by a statute forever. Now the word there afflict, we've seen it a few times here. It means to humble yourself, to place yourself in a lowly position. So they were to have an attitude of submission to God, an attitude of confession of sin, an attitude of repentance. And they were to do no work at all. It was a Sabbath. They were to spend time focusing on their relationship with the Lord over the last year. And so in that way, this is kind of similar to the Lord's Supper, where we examine ourselves and make any wrong areas with the Lord right. That's what they were to do here. He says, for on that day, verse 30, the priest shall make an atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. The word there to cleanse means to change you from an impure state to a pure state. He says, the high priest is going to cleanse you that you might be clean, restored in your relationship with the Lord. So this was a day of repentance, a day of confession of sin, and a day of making a fresh start with the Lord. And aren't you glad that Jesus gave you a fresh start with God? That all your sins are washed away? The only way a person could find that restoration with God is through confession and repentance. It's the only way. So what is that? Well, confession is when I say the same thing about my sin that God does. I don't make excuses for it. I don't blame others for it. I own it and the penalty that I should get for it. That's confession. What's repentance? Well, repentance is when I change my mind about my sin. I didn't care before. I did what I wanted to. But now I choose not to live that way. I change my mind. I choose to please God with my life. And every Jewish person on the Day of Atonement was supposed to be preparing to do that, to confess their sin, agree with God about the things they had done wrong because his word says don't do this or do this. And they hadn't done that or they had done that. And they were to make those things right with God by repentance, by saying, Lord, I've been going this way. I've not loved my wife like I should. I haven't loved my kids like I should. I haven't honored you like I should. I've lied to my neighbor or I've coveted my neighbor's belongings. And Lord, I don't want to do that anymore. I repent. I want a fresh start with you. And the promise is that God on that day, he would forgive them and restore them to right relationship with him. And I ask you real quick tonight, have you done that? Have you come in confession and repentance before the Lord? If you have, then God has washed away all of your sin. But if you haven't, you stand guilty before a perfect God and you need to come to Jesus. You need to get saved. Verse 32. And the priest whom he shall anoint, so now we're talking about continuation. Remember, this is initially spoken to Aaron, but here God says it will be passed on to his son and the rest of their successors throughout history. And the priest whom he shall anoint... Aaron, whoever he passes it on to, and whom he shall consecrate to minister in the priest's office in his father's stead, he shall make an atonement and shall put on the linen clothes, even all the holy garments. And he shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary. And he shall make an atonement for the tabernacle of the congregation and for the altar. And he shall make an atonement for the priests and for all the people of the congregation. And this shall be 
an everlasting statute unto you to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. Aaron didn't do this right then because the date is not right. We don't know when they celebrated the actual first day of atonement. We don't have a record of it. Moses mentions here that he did do it. Moses evidently writes that after the fact. We know that Israel celebrated the day of atonement at least once in their history. I say that because there's no record of it at all in the Bible. None. Never do we have a record of them celebrating the Day of Atonement, aside from the fact that Moses said they did so here. Now, it makes sense that they probably celebrated it every year under Moses, too, because the tabernacle's still in use. And then we see the tabernacle in use in the future, so it would be reasonable to think that they did celebrate it. But we don't have any record of it uh, in the Old Testament. What is even more interesting is what Yom Kippur became after Jesus died and the temple was destroyed. Some would make their own sacrifice. They would uh, take like a a rooster for every male in the house and a hen for every female in the house to atone for their own sins. So it kind of went like back to the Old Testament days where they worship God in the high places where they weren't supposed to. So it kind of went, became like that again. Um, Some some would atone for their sin by giving to charity. Today, there are many Jews who they celebrate the day of atonement like this. As the day is coming up, they make a a list of good and bad deeds. And if their bad deeds outweigh their good deeds, then they have to fix the balance. And when they've accomplished that, they destroy the list on Yom Kippur to symbolize that God has forgiven them. I've heard over in Israel, they actually go to the Jordan and they throw it into the Jordan because you're not going to find it again there. Now, not every Jew does that, of course, and, and not, so if you've had interactions with some people who celebrate Yom Kippur, I'm not saying they all do this, but this has become what a lot of people do Now, notice whichever method I've mentioned here, they're all based on one's own ability to atone for their sin, whether by giving for charity or having your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. They're all based on your ability to atone for your sin. But we know from the scriptures that the Day of Atonement says the exact opposite of that. We can't atone for our sin. A sacrifice must be made on our behalf. And any man that thinks his own righteousness can earn forgiveness from God will be very disappointed when they stand before him someday. That's why God sent Jesus, right? You know, to fulfill this celebration forever. And when we turn back to Hebrews 10, I just want to read a few verses and then we'll be done. Hebrews chapter 10. We left off in verse four where it says, it's not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. So it says, therefore, when he came into the world, verse five says, he says, sacrifice and offering You would not, the King James says, which means that's not what you desired, but a body have you prepared for me. See, there is no offering for sin anymore today. Like You can't go and celebrate the Day of Atonement, whatever ritual you want to go through. It won't work because God didn't want that. All of that was pointing forward to was the day when the Messiah would come and he would take on our flesh and he would be our sin offering, the goat of our sin offering. He would be our scapegoat, the one who would take our sin away. He would be the fit man who is the only one capable of taking our sin and removing it from us as far as the east is from the west. So the Lord didn't want that. What he wanted? A body. In burnt offering and sacrifice for sin, you had no pleasure. So then Jesus, responding to God's desire for that, says, I'll go, Lord. Lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it's written to me. I come to do thy will, O God. And so the writer of Hebrews explains. Before when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, you don't desire. You had pleasure therein. Well, those things are offered by the law. So that shows you the law and keeping the law can't make you right with God. But then when he said, lo, I come to do thy will, O God, he's taking away the first. The day of atonement is not to be celebrated anymore that he may establish the second, the second covenant, the better covenant, 
by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Amen. Once for all. You can't atone for it. You, you can't add to anything Jesus did. His sacrifice and his sacrifice alone is what makes us righteous before him. Lord, we thank you for our study tonight, the Day of Atonement, an amazing day, a big day in Israel's calendar, Lord. Every Jew looking forward to the day when their sins would be forgiven and their relationship with God would be renewed and refreshed. And now, Lord, we don't, we don't operate in that. You are the fulfillment of the Day of Atonement. You are our sin offering. You're, you're, our, you're our scapegoat, Lord. You're our fit man. You're our great high priest who humbled himself and became like us and offered yourself as the perfect once-for-all offering. And so, Lord, now we come to you, not with any righteousness of our own, but in faith in your once-for-all sacrifice that all our sins might be forgiven. Lord, thank you for that righteous standing before you. Thank you that we are perfect in your sight. We are clean before you, all based on the sacrifice of Christ. We love you, and we ask that you'd help us to walk in that, Lord, to know who we are in you, and Lord, to walk in the light so that when we do fail, we do mess up, we don't ignore our sin, we don't cover up our sin, we don't excuse our sin, or rather we just come clean before you anew and afresh, knowing that your blood is just continually cleansing us from all sin. In Jesus' name, amen. The Day of Atonement allowed the high priest to enter into the presence of the Lord once a year. Jesus and his perfect sacrifice on the cross gave us complete access to God whenever we choose. All we must do is come humbly before his presence, in faith, believing that we are accepted because of Jesus' finished work of redemption. If you have any spiritual or physical need, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.